worship with you and to pray with you. And now we're going to turn our attention to uh, the sermon this morning. I'm going to invite you to find Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to read it and then we'll pray and we'll go from there. Sound good? Everybody good? All right. Wonderful. All right. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 27. It says this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are gathered here, your body, your church, and we are gathered with the sole purpose of being with you, listening to you, learning from you, being judged by you and being gracefully empowered by you. And so we pray that we would be able to submit to your teaching, to learn from your word, make us true disciples, and help us to stay connected to your love as we do. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm going to stir things up a little here at the beginning. I have one slide that I want to share with you. Actually, two, but here's the first one. Um, I think we have it. Do we have it? All right. This is a sticker that you can buy on the Internet. It says, go back to California. Uh, this sticker is used in places like Idaho, where many Californians are in the habit of moving to, and I'm choosing this sticker as a way to unite us uh, as Californians um, and also to discourage you from moving because if you move, there will be people in other places that will be prickly to you. This is uh, a sticker that's designed if you see a California license plate in one of those places, you go stick it on somebody's car just to let them know they are not welcome around here. And in fact, this is a whole website where they sell all kinds of products, and this is the brand, Go Back to California. And they have a, a mission statement, believe it or not, for, for what this is, and I don't know. It's just so general, it, it makes my heart happy. It says this, Go Back to L.A. and California both have a lot of meanings to a lot of people. To some, it's the way of life being 
changed by a rush of city slickers who don't realize what they're bringing with them to their new home or being run out of uh, your own hometown by rising cost of living or just the lack of respect tourists have for the communities they visit. These are just a few of the meanings behind the brand. Okay, wow, they're coming for us, guys. So how do we, as Californians, deal with this type of hate? What do we do? Well, maybe we could naturally want to turn to the next slide here, if we have it. This one says, my favorite part of winter is watching it on TV from California. So we could just stick it right back to them and say, you know what, there's some good things about California too. None of this, I think, has to do with the text this morning, sorry. Just to get us in the mindset of an easy way of looking at uh, the ways in which we can easily divide, right? The ways in which we can easily tribe up and express anger towards one another. And, you know, we can lump a whole state, a whole big old state, into one angry phrase, and we can assume so much because of our license plate, right? And, 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 and the way back, as we look at people from other states and think about what they're about and assume things about them. And, and, and so Jesus here is with his disciples, and they've been following him for some time now, and he just went up to the mountain, actually in this kind of pattern of Moses before him who went up the mountain to be with God, to learn God's will for God's people, and he's come down the mountain after some time of prayer, and he's now going to teach his disciples, and his disciples are there sitting at his feet, learning from him in what is known as the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, and we just read what Jesus' words were. He is very clear in his teaching here. And so what we're going to do is go through and just think about the major themes of this portion of the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, there's three major themes. The first one is love your enemies. See this in verse 27, 32, and 35. And the next is to do good. Uh, we see this in verse 27 and 29 and 35. And then finally, to give true gifts. We see this in verse 30. 34 and 35. So how do we deal with our enemies? And what's the importance of a disciple of Jesus dealing with our enemies? Well, one of the things we know about Jesus' announcement that uh, the kingdom of God is at hand with his arrival on earth is that he's showing his disciples a new way of being within the world, a new way of being human and one of the things that that's doing is changing the way that God's people understood themselves. For a long time, they understood how they were set apart from other people by uh, their way that they worshipped, by their heritage, uh, by circumcision. The, the, the laws upon laws that the Pharisees has sort of heaped on the teachings of Moses have now made them distinct and different from the way that the people around them behaved and acted. But Jesus is there to say, no, there's a new way to be my disciple. He wants a much more porous community. He wants a community where uh, people are allowed to come in and be accepted and uh, that the gospel is going to go out to the whole world. And so they need a new way of understanding how they're going to be set apart. How are Jesus' 
people look any different? How did Jesus' disciples look any different from the surrounding world around them? And so he gives them this teaching as a way to identify themselves as disciples. No longer does it matter where they're from. No matter uh, if they are doing temple worship uh, in sacrifices in the way that uh, they had previously done before. No, there's a new way as they follow Jesus, as they're trying to learn what does it mean to follow Jesus um, about how they're going to stand out. And surprisingly, um, it is a way that first addresses the pushback that they're going to receive. Jesus here knows that if they are willing to do what he is doing, to go in his way, to follow the path that he is making in the world, that they're going to encounter pushback, that they're going to have enemies, people that want to stop their mission, people that want to stop Jesus on his mission, and they've already encountered some of them as they're going. And so Jesus gives a very practical teaching here about what they should do, who they should be when they experience that type of hate that type of pushback, that resistance that they're going to experience. And we know these teachings. We've heard them before. They're important teachings. They're practical teachings. And Jesus believes in this community of disciples that they can actually do this stuff. This isn't just teaching them so that they could feel bad, so that they could repent and then uh, receive the grace of God. No, this is saying, yes, the grace and love of God is very real, And it can empower you to do things that you didn't think were possible. It can change you and transform you and make you into the best possible person that you can be in light of who God is. And so this teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, I mean the Sermon on the Plain, uh, is a teaching about how when enemies come your way that you can do what we just sang. That somehow you can take what the enemy meant for evil and you can turn it for good. It reminds me of a story that I once read in a little book about the Sisters of Mercy that followed in the way of Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And one of the things that they would do is celebrate when they got somebody new into their community who had no other place to eat a meal, and they only had so much food. And so they would line up to say, I will give up my meal so this new person can have something to eat. And the reason they did that was because they saw it as an opportunity to be in communion with God. They saw it as an opportunity to take some form of human suffering and do something good about it, to give up their rights and their privileges and their needs for the sake of the other, for the sake of somebody who really needed it. And I think that this is what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand is that by the way of God, even the energy that comes against them could ultimately be turned around into something so beautiful and positive and wonderful for the world, but they need to know how to deal with it. They need to know who they can be in the midst of their challenges and the people that will come against them. And so the classic teaching, right, of turning the other cheek in 
traditional uh, teachings in uh, Jewish interpretation, they, it speaks about when people slap you. And they have literature on this where if somebody slaps you in, in a Jewish community, you actually have the right to sue them for 200 silver coins. And if you turn the other cheek and you get backhanded, then you actually have the ability to sue that person for 400 silver coins because what that meant was that they were insulting you. It would have been like as if they were slapping you in the face or spitting on you. And this was, especially a backhand, was viewed as a way of saying, you are lesser than me. And so when Jesus tells his disciples to just allow it, just to turn the other cheek, he's teaching them a way that they would have never heard before or really understood would be a way to even respond to something like that. And it's still just as radical today as it was then, right? As we think about what that would really mean to be able to live in this way into this teaching of Jesus. Very clear and very challenging. Thus is the way of God. And then he moves into uh, teaching about doing good. And He's really talking about the larger Mediterranean world and how they uh, did goods uh, and services with one another, how they, they worked with one another, how they treated one another. And we, we know this stuff, right? Like, you love those who love you. That's natural. You, you do good to those who you expect will do good in return to you. You lend to people and expect they're going to pay you back. But Jesus is raising the bar here, right? He's saying, you know, that larger Mediterranean world does that. In fact, he uses the word sinners. He says, even sinners can do that. But what happens when we put God into the way that we deal with other people? The theologian Joel Green talks about the golden rule that we see here that was actually around way before Jesus' time. And it's that classic golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. We teach our children this is just a basic way for them to understand a little bit of human compassion, which they so desperately need, desperately need to learn at times. And this rule has been around for a long time because it was a way for people to be in community to deal with each other. But you see here, all around the golden rule, Jesus is teaching something a little bit different. He's not just saying, treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? He's saying, treat others the way that God treats you. And God gives in a way that other people don't give. God gives without expecting returns. And the invitation here is really to think about human reciprocity as a motivation versus identity in Jesus as a motivation. You see, so often we can fall into the trap of doing things in order to manipulate or control people into behaving the way that we want them to behave. And vice versa, that people will do that to us, that they will treat us in a certain way 
and they will expect that we give it back to them in kind. But Jesus so frequently teaches that it is not the results or the results of the crowd or the people in response to the relationship that should be the focus for his disciples. He's not saying that you shouldn't expect something in return. He's saying that God's got you covered. That the returns will come from God himself. And so, will you move in faithfulness and act in faithfulness regardless of the external results that you see and how you act? Will you still do what God is teaching you to do, what Jesus wants you to do and models for Christian disciples to do? He says this is the only way to give true gifts in the way that God gives them. God is merciful. Therefore, be merciful to one another. God gives to the wicked and the good. We see this not just in this teaching, but we see it when Jesus teaches on parables, like the parable of the sower, where he says, it's not your job to control the results. Just go sow the seeds, and some of it will fall on good soil, and some of it will fall on bad soil. But it is not your job to control the soil so much as it is to sow the seeds or the weed and the chaff where God says your job is not so much to decide who's in and out. The wheat and the chaff will grow together and God will eventually separate it. It's more the disciples' job to know how to react when the time comes, to know how to love. And this is all to say if you would do this, if you actually would choose to live this way, then you would be a, a disciple of Jesus because this is what Jesus does, and he's the rabbi, and the rabbi is bringing his teaching and his way, and he's saying the way that you will know that you are a disciple of Jesus is to follow his teaching and his way, and this is the way of Jesus. Author Brian Zahn, uh, in a new book called Everything is on Fire, has an illustration that I think is helpful here as we think about this. He says, imagine a person who is the foremost expert on peaches. He has learned all that can objectively be learned about peaches, their genius, their subgenius, their species, the trees that produce them, their history, their cultivation and varieties, even the sequence of their DNA. Imagine that man, and we will call him Dr. Prunus Pariska has written dozens of scholarly works on peaches, given countless university lectures on peaches, and received numerous academic awards for his work in the scientific understanding of peaches. No one knows more about peaches than Dr. Pariska. Now imagine that for some bizarre reason, some inexplicable reason, Dr. Pariska has never eaten a peach. Does Dr. Pariska really know more about peaches than a small child who has eaten a peach? We would say no to that, right? And in some way, it really is about experience. Knowledge is about experience. Psalm 34, 8 reminds us of this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. See, the teaching is clear here, but... Until we have experiences of practicing in this way, we can't know 
if this way is good, if this is the right way, if this is the way to salvation, if this is the way to the kingdom or not the way to the kingdom. And so what we must do in a way is submit ourselves to the teaching and to say, God, if this is the way that you want your disciples to be, then we submit. And we say this isn't within us. We want to tell those Idahoans all about our weather, right? That's what we want to do. But Jesus is saying, no, what if you saw those people in your life or those groups of people as actually an opportunity to love? The very people that are in your path that frustrate you the most might be the exact people God wants you to cue in and say, opportunity to love, opportunity to extend grace opportunity to actually be merciful. Because when we're kind to the people that are kind back to us, we don't extend mercy. We have great relationships, but that's not an opportunity yet to know quite what God is up to, quite what God is doing. And I think we should, too, just think for a moment, how do we do this? Like, what is the way by which we can go from just some big lofty goal to actually making this practical in our lives. Um, one book that I've been learning from on the dimension of really actually changing things is a book called Atomic Habits. It's a really good book, probably some of you have read. One of the premises of this book is that you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your system. And so the daily decisions, the small daily decisions that you make over time add up and make you the person that you will become. And there's four things that uh, come into developing any kind of habit. The first is a cue, the second is a craving, the third is a response, and the fourth is a reward. The cue would be like when you hear a siren, right, and that cues you to to pull over. It talks about your environment. So if you have cookies out on your table every day and you walk by the cookies, chances are you're going to eat the cookie. I know from experience that's true. How you shape your environment, because we're humans and we go for low-hanging fruit, whatever's around us, that's what we'll do. And so as you curate your environment, how could you curate your environment to be a reminder to you to love people that are difficult to love? I have a friend, what he does is he lights a candle when he feels the presence of God. Just as a cue, just as a way to remind him uh, that God is presence. And then when he wants to feel the presence of God, he lights a candle. As a way to invite him into prayer, maybe if you put that candle on your desk, it's a reminder to you, oh yeah, I'm supposed to light this candle and pray for somebody. Because with our enemies, those people that frustrate us, if we're honest, there's no way we start with turning the other cheek so much as we need to start with prayer. To let God change our heart first. To simply go, God, I don't want to do this. It's against everything within me, but you've called me to do it, so I'm here. And I'm praying. Maybe you could do something, some work here. And then let that move out into what's being taught here. 
And then over time, maybe you become like uh, those sisters in Calcutta who crave to see the goodness of God, who crave to participate in the kingdom of God. And they do it together, right? Like, like a CrossFit gym for God. Like that's one of the reasons why people love CrossFit because they hold each other accountable and there's a community around it and they're doing something hard, but they're doing it together. And so if we move into something hard, if we have other people, as Jesus sends people out two by two, then we can share with one another and say, yeah, I'm loving my enemy. I'm praying for them. Are you choosing to do the same thing? I'm trying to do good works. Would you pray for me and hold me accountable for this? And then the response, right, as we build community around this, then we can also just take faithful, risky steps, knowing that that's the only way to get to our goal, is to take faithful, risky steps and to reach out and to say, you know what, I don't know how they're going to respond if I call them on the phone, but I know that this is what I'm called to do. And I know that I'm going to show up in relationship in a way where what they say is not so much important as what God wants me to say and be in the conversation. And then finally, the reward is so different here than the external worldly rewards that we would think, but we see reward here. That God isn't saying don't expect a reward. He's just saying he's the giver of the reward. That when you go in prayer over time, if you act in this way, what you will discover is a smiling Heavenly Father who's proud of you, who's saying, yes, keep going, keep doing it. Your rewards are for you. Crowns, celebration, a better life. A life full of love, a life full of compassion and care. All because you didn't do it to control the other person, you did it because God called you to do it. One final thought here uh, that I think could uh, also apply is that my son is starting to write little, little stories. And one of the stories, he's seven years old, his name's Remy. And he's, he's writing little stories, and usually there's a monster in the story. And in his last story, he wrote the story of the blob. And how the blob uh, comes slowly. And how the blob is really not something easily identified, but it's always coming. And how there's a little boy who has to learn how to make friends with the blob. And I've been talking to a lot of friends and colleagues about the season we're living in, and maybe that's another way to think about what's going on for us is just this blob. Like there's just so much challenging stuff happening and it all just adds up and maybe there's not one identifiable thing so much as there's just this big blob. And so I wonder if God, uh, through his teaching here, is inviting us to ask the question, how do we be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ with the blob? How do we not let the blob seep into us so much as we let God seep into us? And then we interact with the blob in a wholly new way.
And my prayer is that if that's something you're interested in, that if, that if this way is something that piques your interest, that God would just move in your life to take that next small step. Maybe just change your environment just a little bit and see what could happen. Just 1% change over time. Every day could really change a lot. So may it be so in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, your call. Lord, we look at it uh, and we, we are challenged by it. And so we ask that you would uh, give us your power in this upside-down kingdom to live out of our weakness, to live out of our vulnerabilities, to live out of a place of knowing that true love flows from you in ways we can't even imagine. And so we're covered. We're covered by your love and grace and mercy. And so we can do what you have asked us to do. And so set us apart, Lord Jesus, as your faithful disciples willing to count the cost. And Lord, to bet on the hope, beyond hope, that resurrection is just around the corner. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. May we extend it to all those around us. In your precious and holy name, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.